0: It really was like a really deep, life-changing, life-altering experience where I, I got to go, oh my God, there is something inside of me. That thing that I've been reaching for and that I have been longing for and have no language and context for, that was the session, that first one that allowed me access to that and to understand that that entire universe of resource existed within myself, which I am still unfolding.
2: And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Well, holotropic breathing. (laughs) I'm in. Why does it feel like every time I like hear about a new thing, a modality, treatment, therapy, whatever, I just like, I'm like, oh, that sounds like the thing I want to do.
1: Because that's what they're there for. You're supposed to try them.
2: I'm really, i mean, like, so curious.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of so holotropic breathing. We just talked to Christine Calvert about it, who um, has a ton of experience um, and is a practitioner uh, of holotropic breathing. But she's, um, yeah, she's, like, done it however many times, but it explains how sort of life-changing it can be. I don't know. I mean, I think, like, the part of it is... You know, there, there's some kind of like weird resistance to things that are just seem too easy and accessible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And not like I'm so suspicious or like, I, I don't know what it is. It's almost like self sabotage. It's like, no, 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 no. Like that couldn't possibly work. Let me go try these other 8 million things. Right. That require that expensive and complicated and difficult the, to access. Before you ask, before you try the most simplest, like purest form of, Healing, which is using your breath. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. <laughs>
2: but that, yeah, it's, well, that's um, what she said. She said it sounded yeah. ridiculous when she first started, and four years and how, or you know, four years of training and however many sessions later. So I'm down. I'm in. I don't know if I'm in.
1: I'm like slightly no? intimidated. I don't know. I'm just like intimidated by it for some reason. I need to figure that out.
2: Maybe I need to do a breath session to figure out what figure that out. is. Your issue about having a breath session. Yeah. I
1: understand. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, i'm I'm definitely interested. I, I'm curious to understand what that dynamic is like having like the sitter and the breather, because, like you said, I mean, it's it's got to be very like we're not good in general as a culture. We don't like seeing other people in discomfort and distress. We're not really good at handling it. And no. we also definitely are not good at like really just stripping down to our barest vulnerabilities when things feel like a little bit out of our control. So, but you know, I'm not gonna do ayahuasca because I don't want to shit my pants. Let's just, you know, I'm just I take think ayahuasca that off is list. more throwing up than I think it's everything. Like it's literally losing control shitting. of your body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Uh yeah, I don't want, I can't do ayahuasca just because like I don't have the time. It's like a no. whole three day process. Like, go to freaking Peru, bring my kids with me, and she's married. <laughs> find a babysitter <laughs> while I <laughs> trip trip through the desert for three days and take a yacht
2: down to the mountains
1: kids mommy will be right back I'd have to go throw up and shit my pants Um, and then I'll be a whole new mommy and then I'll be so much more pleasant to
2: be around (laughs) (laughs) yeah no this sounds easier just gonna go down the street and do some breathing and come back and the world will be different
1: Yeah, three hours, three hours. Um, I don't think it's cheap, but.
2: No.
1: I mean, it can't be like that much more expensive than like a couple's therapy session.
2: Right, exactly. None of this shit's cheap. I say
1: couple's therapy session because they're usually more expensive than a single therapy session. That's correct. Also, not inexpensive. Huh? Also, not
2: inexpensive. inexpensive. No, it's. It's uh, a single therapy. Well, that's the thing. I think like for me, I've been. Trying so many different things to kind of like tap into, you know, where I'm at and 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 therapy, like traditional talk therapy has now really just gone straight to the bottom of the list of things that I feel are helpful and productive in any kind of like concrete way or immediate way, I guess.
1: Well, I mean, I think there's just also so many more modalities at our disposal now. So there's yeah. so many other yeah. things to try. And I mean... Talk therapy is good. I think it works. It's fine. It just takes a long time it takes and It's so long. You don't feel these like seismic shifts that you kind of sometimes feel like you need. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know, uh this sort of forced hyperventilation to reach an altered state of expanded state of uh, consciousness, holotropic breathing. It's fascinating. Um let me know how it
2: goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a postcard from the other side. <laughs> uh, at least you won't shit your pants. I don't think that is true. Holotropic breathing. At least you won't shit your pants. That's gonna be the new tagline.
1: I was like thinking about the. I mean, <laughs> I the, the story of like the guy getting up and running through the door, like <laughs> his picture with a whistle, like we got a runner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's he had runners high. In a way, didn't he? Oh, God. Um, all right. Well, that's enough of an okay. intro. You don't even have to listen to the episode now. We basically just said we told you everything. I'm just kidding. No, there's so much more. No, gotta listen. Um, well, enjoy. Let us know what no, you think. You enjoy. No, you <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, co-founders of Earth and Star here. Real quick. What if we told you that your morning cup of coffee could deliver powerful
2: immune support, keep dementia at bay, and help you sleep like a baby? Or that you could improve your gut health and reduce inflammation with a delicious daily gummy? You'd probably say we're full of shiitake. Mm Mm-hmm, well, it can, and as it turns out, all of these powerful health benefits are hiding right under our feet, literally, in the form of functional mushrooms, sometimes referred to as adaptogens. Adaptogens,
1: they are fancy plants and fungi chock full of science-backed benefits to help your body restore, defend, and perform every single day. Earth and Star is our line of super premium adaptogen-infused goodies.
2: Goodies. What do we got? We've got organic Mm. ground coffee in Mm. dark roast, hazelnut, even decaf for people like me. Um, And they're all boosted with a powerful dose of adaptogen extracts to give you the most delicious morning brew with zero crash, zero jitters, zero zero for real. Mm, talk to me. I like
1: it. But is it actual coffee?
2: Or that weird muddy tasting coffee replacement that you have to like mix and froth and then convince yourself it tastes good and tastes like, not, not like bed. mud, you mean? No, because uh-huh. no. um, no, it's actual coffee. We just added in the extracts. So you get extracts for powerful focus, sustained energy, no anxiety, no big whoop.
1: And if that's not your thing, we've also got dark chocolate bars. I mean, fun, they're organic, 72% cacao with delicious flavors like mint, orange, sea salt and all with no weird crap or additives. Most likely you have a daily chocolate habit anyway, so why not make it super delicious and
2: functional while you're at it? Mm-hmm. And what's that, you still need an easier way to make this adaptogen habit stick. I see what you did there. I see what you Done, I know, here's what I did. We've got gummies too, get it, mm-hmm. they stick. Um, nice. And we managed to pack a therapeutic dose into just two little vegan gummies.
1: Two, two, not not four or six, because come on, people, no grown-ass adult needs six gummies a day. <laughs> but if you do, no judgments.
2: No judgments. And no, Earth and Star products do not taste like mushrooms. We will legit give you your money back if you taste even the slightest hint of shroominess. Our products are just like the ones you are already consuming regularly: real coffee, real chocolate, etc. They are just boosted with functionality to help you adapt every day. Adapt every day with all the stuff that comes our way. Oh, my God. I just did a rhyme. That's good. Um,
1: That's pretty good. Uh, So check us out at earthandstar.com and or follow us at Earth and Star Co. And if you want 15% off, you can use the code HTW on your first order. Do-do-do. So, I mean, gosh, let's where do we start? We could go so many different directions, but why don't we start with maybe your story and and how you got into it? Um, and then we can kind of explain what it is a bit more.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's always a little interesting to like retell that story because Polytrophic breathwork was was not something I was searching for or didn't know I was searching for, and it sort of has that quality of having found me. I remember I was living, I moved from Los Angeles to a small town in Texas called Kerrville. And I moved away because I was starting to deal with some some addiction issues and uh, moved to, you know, find some healing and was practicing, you know, meditation and just like trying to understand some of what was driving this. Um was in a lot of therapy. And I, it's such a like classic small town, you know, moment, but I was driving home one night and I saw a friend of mine at a gas station, ran into him at a gas station. And he just like had this, this look, uh, that I'd never seen. And he said he had just tried this, this process, this method called holotropic breathwork. And he said, you have to try it. And so, so a couple weeks later I was invited to, to do this. And, um, it was really fascinating. You know, I was, I was 19 years old. This was like 18 years ago. I had been, you know, searching for something to fulfill this like emptiness since as far back as I can remember. And when I laid down on that mat and I, I heard the music come on and, you know, I did what they instructed me to do. It just like opened this portal, this dimension doorway into this space that I uh, had no idea existed. And uh, it was a feeling of coming home it was also really terrifying. And. Yeah. So that, that was like my journey to my first breathwork session. And then after that, I was so intrigued that I, um, like I sought it out anywhere that I could. And, uh, it was really powerful. Not everybody has that when they first do this process. And for some people it's really subtle. And for me, it was, it was sort of like what they might call like a burning bush experience. It was pretty profound, um, and life-changing for me. So, that's so what tough.
1: did, yeah. I mean, that's incredible. I love, I, I love how simple it is that you just like ran into some guy at the gas station and just totally <laughs> turned your, your world upside down. But um, what, so can you explain like what, what the, what the process is and, and sort of like set the scene of the room and cause this is typically done in a group setting,
0: right? It, it is. Yeah. Um, and my first experience was in a small group setting, which is perfect for me. And essentially just like a teeny bit of background with Stanislav Grof, who is one of the co-founders. Don't
2: make it teeny. Let's have like some real background. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. <laughs> so, it goes in so many different and, areas. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he, um, and a lot of, a lot of your listeners may know his name, but he was one of the first sort of pioneers in consciousness research that uh, was invited to, to the States, to the West, to, um, he was from uh, the Czech Republic. And so he's invited here to, um, you know, continue his work with, uh, what was called at the time LSD psychotherapy. And he was able during that time to begin to map out a sort of like map of consciousness just based on all the thousands, hundreds and thousands of sessions that he was doing to start to sort of understand, like and categorize, if you will, very loosely um, these sort of aspects of the psyche and consciousness. But then when LSD became illegal, uh, you know, hit the streets, became illegal. In the 60s he was forced to stop doing uh the work with with the substance but he remembered that there was this there was this point in a session for some people where they would spontaneously move into this deeper faster breath pattern and it would propel them in back into the experience so it'd be maybe toward the end of the session they couldn't redose you know there's a certain dose that they could use with a patient so the the participants body would just sort of naturally move into this breath pattern and when it propelled them back into the experience Hmm. so they could um you know essentially finish and and you know so this this is sort of like how this the breathworks was was birthed is from a lot of observation and listening it wasn't like he said well you know i can't do lsd anymore let me think of all the things i could do instead it really was through observation and and witnessing this really like intrinsic wisdom, you know. And then of course we know the breath has been used for you know centuries to to support expanded states and the connection to the divine. And uh, we know now through some of the yogic traditions its capacity to sort of and other eastern you know traditions to open portals to you know the physical body and ailments and to heal. Yeah, I mean if we look back in time, the breath has been used for healing in so many different capacities so that was that was old news in some ways and so he sort of drew on like the the ancient you know practices that we've utilized and his knowledge and wisdom from just witnessing what was happening for people in expanded states of consciousness rel- rel- relative to the breath and then like he would noticed they go you know what i have this thing in my shoulder can you just like put some resistance there so i can lean into it and So then this like body work piece kind of came up. It's a very specific way of working with the body. And then, you know, the music came in. So to come back to like, what does the process look like? It's essentially really, really simple. You lay on a mat, you know, with your eyes closed and there's a little bit of instruction or like support around this breath, which is a little deeper, a little faster than our normal breath, sort of removing the gaps. And some music comes on, which has a, you know, a certain trajectory to it. Um, and there's all it's not very like, you know, there's no English words in it. So it's sort of journey music in that sense, kind of covers the full spectrum of the human experience. And then something happens. And, um, you know, a lot of this is, is relevant to the set and setting, you know, and, and the sort of preparation process. You know the, this huge sort of psychedelic emergence is is happening, as you know. And you know what we're really finding is the importance of remembering. You know the the relevance and the potency and the poignancy of the preparation and the integration aspects of of that work. And it was the same for it is the same for the holotropic breathwork. So. You know, the set and setting and the psyche's capacity to understand how safe it is is really relevant, also. So, then you have the last part of that is you have a sitter. So, if you and I went to a breathwork workshop and we pa- paired up, you would sit for me and I would go through a two and a half, three hour journey. And then we would switch and I would sit for you. And the sitting is really beautiful. So, it's just like opportunity to witness and hand someone some water if they need it. There's a, a a really sweet sort of, I think a collective repair that gets to happen just in that three hours of getting to to sit. Cause it's just not often we're witnessed like that. Mm. And then there's facilitators walking around the room, you know, making sure that everybody is okay and, and, you know, supporting people where they need it. And then at the end, there's like a little integration with some art and, and some processing, some sharing.
2: So on the, the, the two to three hour piece of it, just speaking very technically, is that, are you doing these breathing exercises throughout or you do a set of it that then kind of gives you, creates a journey that lasts for that long?
0: Well, I mean, it's a really good question because it speaks to one of the main like sort of pillars of the work, which is this idea of, you know, what what Stan like really simply called the inner healer. And um, I bring that up because there is, it's funny because there's, there's, it's not like, um, it's not, it's different from so many of the breathwork practices that we know now that have a very specific way of breathing for a certain amount of time, sometimes with some, you know, something else that the body is doing to support that. And there's a certain sort of goal, if you will, that, that we're often trying to get from it. And with the holotropic, it's kind of like, well, you know, if we really trust that, that inner wisdom, your inner healer, the, the suggestion is just to breathe a little deeper and a little faster until something happens. And that could mean that it feels really natural for the person's body to breathe for an extended period of time. And generally what I see happen is people sort of move in and out of that, of that breath pattern. Sometimes it's deeper and faster and sometimes it's slower. Sometimes it's used to, like, accelerate an internal process that's happening. Sometimes it just immediately sort of moves to the back burner where the set and setting is enough for the psyche to mm. feel safe enough to allow things to emerge. Um, but ultimately, I think what's important, you know, to also say is the breath is our sort of medicine in that work, if you will. So it mm-hmm. is sort of the, the the opening, you know, the the trailhead, if you will.
2: So... And sorry, I'm just getting like super technical on this just because I'm really yeah. trying to envision. Um, uh, like, are you, so my understanding of this type of breath work, and I, I first heard about it in from Michael Pollan um, because mm-hmm. in his, in How to Change Your Mind, you know, he starts off on his journey to experiment with all of these different psychedelic experiences. And his first stop was holotropic breath work. And so I guess, so in thinking of it during, as like, similar to a psychedelic experience, my own personal experience and my understanding of it, you know, you're a bit removed from yourself, not necessarily dissociated, but certainly you're on your journey. So I guess my question is like, when you say, you know, you kind of come in and out of it, are you, are you, are you actually intentionally kind of coming in and out of that breathing or is it a little bit more involuntary and the body is just sort of staying you know keeping you there by going into this i mean it's almost like a forced hyperventilation right it's it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i'm i'm asking i guess is it is it completely involuntary that you're breathing this way or are you still sort of making the effort
0: yeah good question cuz it's both and it's everything like it's really um you know, there's times where I've taken two breaths, you know, and or even, you know, haven't breathed at all. Just someone's doing there's an there's a relaxation that happens uh, before they sort of s- support you in moving into the the breath. And then the music comes on sometimes in that time is when all of, I start moving into into a process and I haven't even utilized the breath. And I never really have to because my my body and my psyche have, have really learned to trust the space. And so it just sort of emerges. But there's other times where, you know, I've really had to lean on the breath um, to sort of open the space. And so I'm really utilizing like a deeper, faster breath for a, a length of time. And I'm, I'm really connected and conscious of my breath throughout the whole session. Um, and then sometimes there's sessions where, you know, I use it to sort of enter and then it's, it sort of moves to the back burner and I'm just in the experience that's emerging. And then, you know, it's, it is certainly different than psychedelics in the sense that more than not, there's a connection in a sort of, you know, a dual consciousness that is happening where you're aware that you are in a room doing breath work and you are still in, like in the embodied experience, depending on where people's, you know, what people's needs are just, you know, again, we sort of trust where people are at with this and what happens and what emerges for them. Some people may be really conscious of the room. There's a lot of noise in the room. You know, people are going through all sorts of different experiences. We encourage a lot of vocalization. We encourage sound. If that's there, we encourage movement. So you can hear a lot of things in the room and so somebody can be very aware of the, the external space and still holding an internal process. And some people are just really deep in their own internal space. And the external experience is a little bit more like a, a psychedelic session in the sense that they're, they're, there's a disconnect, yeah.
1: Are you getting, is there any kind of visual component? Like there is sometimes with you know, psilocybin or LSD.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's and again, it's so different. I mean, I've had like, you know, sessions that are just so visual, so visual, and then others that are really somatic without the visual component. I've had, you know, and all of that combined, there's sort of some are just have a lot of emotional um material where maybe it's just a moving sort of uh, you know, moving things on the emotional level, but there's there's no visual with it. Sometimes there is. So it's it's every session is really different for people.
1: Mm. So is there anyone that this is not good for? Like, is there any kind of, uh, you know, person or any type of experience that maybe someone's gone through where you wouldn't potentially suggest this as, you know, therapy?
0: Yeah, for sure. I would say the the sort of screening process is, is actually really similar to someone who may be doing like a, a psychedelic session. I live in Oregon, so we're really looking at this and part of the psilocybin facilitator trainings and and we bring this work into that. And yeah, the screening, um, the screening is pretty similar because okay. the reality is that we know that the breath works and it has the capacity to not only open up our physiology. Um, so if somebody has, you know, um, cardiovascular disease or, you know, has, has, you know, history of like a, a stroke or you know, an MI, a heart attack, it may not be the best space for them because we never know what's actually activating that, you know, and and what sort of part of our history, you know, and our, our trauma is 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 connected to that. Not to mention you are breathing very, you can move into a space where you're breathing very heavily and that may not be healthy just on a physiological level. And, you know, we can't really, you know, we try not to really stop the process so it's it's definitely you know for people who have some level of physiological health where if they get into a really intense space um whether it's breath or crying or there's a lot happening physically that their body can can handle that can hold that Mm -hmm. emotionally speaking you know on a mental health level you know we do the same sort of screening we would like you know like what the the state of Oregon is doing for psilocybin, you know, trying to understand people's psychiatric history, if they have any, you know, people who have maybe really recent histories of things like manic episodes. We do really, we have a really, really close conversation with, you know, things like uncontrolled high blood pressure, just to go back to the the more physical medical history can be a little problematic because it's important that if there's a lot of built up pressure that people are willing and to release, which mm. we're pretty like zipped up, you know, in this culture. And that can be a hard ask. That's, you know, I get that. I, I think some of the release work in this, in this space is a, is a big deal for people, you know, to, to let movement and to trust the body and to not have to make meaning of it right away and to trust, you know, the, the shaking that can come up or the, the need to make, you know, noise. Yeah, and 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 then, sorry, jumping around a little, but like mental health, um, you know, we just, we want to support people. We want people to feel supported. And so these experiences can be really deeply opening. And so if people have like any sort of history of, you know, where, where you know, there's like a history of deep depression or anxiety or bipolar, um, you know, we like to know that that's fairly, you know, there's some sort of support system that can hold them and, and support the experiences when they come out. And, you know, there's, I don't find people that come to this work often that don't have, you know, some sort of some, you know, some trauma. And so just understanding too, that what we can receive is, you know, these are DSM, this is DSM language, Whether or not you we sort of buy into that or not, the reality is it gives us some context and some language for somebody's internal experience. And so sometimes I think when someone's dealing with like um, you know some what we would call like a personality disorder and things like this, it's important to like have conversations because a lot can emerge, and we want to know that people can own what is happening for them in their own internal process and and be able and not project it out. You know, onto the facilitator or the participants. And when we've had a lot of trauma, a strategy for safety is to project onto others instead mm-hmm. of own our own internal experience, which makes perfect sense to me. So yeah, there's like some assessment and screening around, you know, with people who have had who who have some of these these internal constellations. and uh, it's not doesn't mean they can't do it. you know, it's more and it's not about them. It's more about whether or not we feel like we, have the support that they deserve. So,
2: yeah. So are people seeking this out as a complement to other types of therapy or as a replacement or as a precursor to exploring psychedelics? Like, what is, what is the typical use case that you see?
0: Um, I would say, um, you know, definitely like a couple of scenarios. One is I've tried everything and I don't know what else to do. Right. And so it's like one of those, you know, end of the, end of the road feeling for Mm -hmm. feelings for people. And, you know, the other one is I've, I've been a seeker for a long time and I want to go deeper.
2: And do you feel like those two scenarios are, um, does it, does it achieve the goal there? I mean, is it, is it common that people say I've tried everything and this is the thing that made me click, like made it click for me or, Uh, I'm just curious. I mean, because I feel like I'm kind of in a boat of like having tried quite a few things, and I've not tried this, and so I'm just curious what what people kind of say on the other side.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think you know the the work is a a a really interesting modality. One because you know I'll like even for myself, and I was quite open at the time, like pretty open minded, and you know not like drawn to some you know more holistic and alternative things. I remember hearing the intro talk for this and I was like, this sounds absolutely ridiculous. Like there's no way that that is possible through the breath. Mm. I mean, I really was when I came into it.
2: Yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, I feel like my inner healers just, you know, like the inner healer is so intelligent. It's like, okay, how, what does this being need to really get this? And I feel like I got a little bit of like the two by four where it was like okay this is this work is uh, you know obviously it's you know it's so much of my life now but uh like how do we get her to pay attention here you know and it really was like a really deep life changing life altering experience um where i i got to go oh my god there is something inside of me that thing that i've been reaching for and that i that i have been longing for and have no language and context for That was the session, that first one that allowed me access to that and to understand that that entire universe of resource existed within myself, which I am still unfolding. So, Um, I mean,
1: how, how would you explain like the actual feelings that you had mm -hmm. coming out of that first session? Were you, was it like euphoria? Were you, you know, was it happy? Was it sad? Was it like, what, what was the actual feeling for you?
0: It was like all of those things. That was the, that was the access. That was the opening for me was, you know, I remember through the session, you know, having a lot of visuals around, you know, like very transpersonal nature. So there was a lot of like sacred and sort of spiritual things coming through for me. But I also was in an immense amount of pain and grief, you know, processing, I'd been processing, you know, these sort of trauma pieces for a while but this just like open the space to actually feel and have access to the emotion in a way that i i hadn't had access to before Mm -hmm. this is the beauty of expanded states is that the ego operates differently and we have more more capacity or more access um to some of these parts and and i also in allowing myself so just you know just full like the well of tears was available to me. And having gone to the the depth of that in that moment, you know, there was plenty more years of exploring that, but it also allowed, you know, obviously the other side of the spectrum, which was like the first time probably in my life that I I had experienced a moment of like absolute, pure, authentic joy. Hmm. So I was writing that, just doing that, like, you know, that, that writing that wave of like, Oh God, everything that I have like, you know, pushed away, you know, Brene Brown has the like classic, um, quote, you know, around, you you know, when we block the tough stuff, we also block the, you know, the good experiences. That was a really (coughs) up version of her poetry, but, um, you know, that was just really clear. And I think we intellectually understand that, but when we work in expanded states, we get to really embody that. It's like, oh, if I can let myself go into that and the breath work, with psilocybin or something like this, you really don't have a choice. The thing is just going to get as big as it needs to inside of you. I mean, you can try to you can try to manage that, and it's a little bit painful or a lot painful. And with the holotropic, oftentimes what we Fine is that we have a choice in participating to allow something to have to be bigger so if i'm in the grief like really just letting that come through which is a huge practice in and of itself um and so it also gives us this capacity to like learn how to let things have space in us and to meet them and uh in doing that it sort of opens the portal door then to like to roll into the joy or whatever's whatever else is there you know the maybe it's rage and you know anger and then maybe we get to the joy whatever the the route is there's space to like do that so it's so it's like i came out of that like stunned to answer your question i literally like my mouth was like open and just like what the hell just happened
1: you know it's so funny i don't know why this is like uh such an intimidating practice for me cuz i've done so many things. (laughs) I've done like so many drugs, you know, like psilocybin and LSD. and, And there's something about this. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it is like that thing where you're like the alt, it's sort of like the losing control, right? Like, so if you just take a pill or whatever to eat a mushroom, you're kind of like, well, here we go. No turning back. And then that is somehow like uh, that sort of letting go is like the ultimate form of control. Whereas Mm -hmm. like, this is like this weird middle ground. Also just like the idea of hyperventilating is so like to me, you know, in my mind, I kind of have this fear of like, I'm, I'm not going to have control over my body. Like it's going to get on this track uh, of, you know, whatever it's doing, convulsing, shaking, whatever. And I'm not going to be able to like to stop it. Is it, Is it belly breathing or does it matter?
0: It doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, I think when we're talking about taking deeper breaths, we do sometimes I like breathe all the way down into the belly, but the instruction is so like, it really has just to really hold the integrity around this, this inner healing process we're just like, yeah, I mean, for some people, deep breaths into their chest is all they can do. And like, Mm -hmm. that's great, (laughs) you know? So yeah there's not a specific instruction around that except a little deeper and a little faster and con- connecting the inhale and the exhale and that drives people crazy sometimes because it's not a specific you know especially those of us who are like give me the exact instruction
2: <laughs> right yeah. that I
0: don't do it <laughs> wrong and I right. have the experience that I think I need you know and yeah. so it's such a like you know fun thing to challenge that in, in just providing suggestive instructions and then saying, you know, really trust your body.
2: Well, but that's, what's interesting. I think like kind of going off of what Zoe was just saying, um, when you think about how, you know, you pop a pill or you eat a mushroom and all of these things start to happen, it's also, I mean, like you're saying, you know, okay, now I'm on the, on the bus, but the other part of it is like when it actually does happen somewhere in your like monkey brain you rationalize like well that's the drugs like that's the exactly. drugs talking and in this case this is literally you this Ew. is your body talking this is like yeah. it's just you and your body and that's i think probably what makes it <laughs> fucking scary is yeah. like there's no other layer to blame it on or to assign or to kind of rely on it's like this is actually just what is coming out of you uh which i think is terrifying for a lot of people
0: yeah i, I 100% agree i it terrifies me every time i lay in the, on the mat <clears throat>
2: It does still. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's just because you're right. It's like this, this is not about a medicine that I'm taking in. You know, it's about, yeah, the whatever it is that is existing within this, within my being. And, and it does. It asks me to look at it, yeah. which has been one of the most beautiful invitations of my life. But it's also been really hard to because it's, it's an invitation. To look at and embrace, and I think one of the hardest parts about breathwork, holotropic, and one of the most healing is that I have somebody sitting there, just watching me,
1: which is also kind of weird, right? Like I don't know <laughs> that I want that either. I'm just like that. I feel like I would be so distracted. This person, like, I'm like you know, feeling judged or like I like, and then also <laughs> on the you know on the flip side it would be very bizarre to watch someone else who I, I assume you don't really know. Right.
0: Um, Exactly. Yeah.
1: Trip or cry or do, you know, basically have these very huge uh, feelings um, kind of publicly.
0: (laughs) I mean, this is a whole, this is a whole conversation, you know, to have is which, because the sitting experience for a lot of people is, can be more profound than, than their actual breath work experience in a workshop you know i think it's really surprising what comes through and gets to unlock in the witnessing of another not only another of a whole room it can be a lot and you know it can run the spectrum of like just these really sweet heart openings and this you know access to compassion Mm. and empathy to you know a total flight response and being really Mm. terrified of like and, and not knowing how to sit all the way down. And, you know, we get to look at so many things within that, like, you know, and, and, you know, the other thing is like, there's also the sitters who are like waiting there with a tissue, you know, for the tear to come out. And (laughs) so we get to look at our, you know, our codependency and our, you know, Mm -hmm. these caretaker parts. And, and we ask sitters to not intervene. I mean, that's the other part is literally your job as a sitter is to sit Mm -hmm. unless they ask you for something. And that is really hard on both ends to ask because, yeah. That's what I need and to not intervene when it seems like they may need something.
1: Like, what would be, yeah, what would be a scenario where, like, you as a sitter might want to help? Like, what, like, b- besides like the crying, let me get you a tissue, like, what, what is an example of like a moment where you're like, hmm, maybe I should intervene here? Or, like, maybe they don't have the capacity to tell me that they need help. Yeah. Um, is there, have you had that experience?
0: I mean, absolutely, and this is why that the holotropic training is, you know, minimum of two years. It took me four and a half years. Is that um, really wow? Because there's so many different experiences, and if we really believe in what we say, that we trust your inner inner wisdom. That is that is. There's so much to work with there to unprogram and deconstruct the way that we've been taught to show up with people, and. Um, I think that's why it's such a valuable tool too in the, you know, in the psychedelic trainings that are coming up, they're using, you know, Graf's model a lot to, you know, to teach people how to sit. And so much of what, when we think someone needs help is, is, you know, a projection of our inability to hold the discomfort that's emerging yeah. us in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been moments where I'm like intervening with somebody, you know, just, I have this and the other thing is, it's not really about facilitator intuition. I will answer your question, I promise. I'm, you know, I'm kind of... <laughs> no, I like... I'm. I'm uh, we're going on a journey. I like it. <laughs> we are. And, it, you know, the, the facilitator, you know, our teacher, one of my teachers used to be very clear, like, you know, the room, the people in the room heal not because of you, but in spite of you, like, mm. you know, this sort of, and the sort of paradox of the facilitators being not important at all. And the most important people in the room, you know, and that's, that's Mm -hmm. a really interesting sort of paradox to hold. And which means, and, and, and to go back to like, why it takes so long to train in this work is because they want us to do enough of our own work and kind of go to enough different places um, within our own psyches that we really do trust the, the psyche and the emergence of another individual. So
1: how many times do you have to do it as a breather in this training like how many experiences do you have to have not as a sitter or i guess you never really you do much. one without the other
0: Exactly so yeah. much i mean you know we have 9 weeks total of residential training and then you have to do 10 in addition to that like 10 separate workshops as a breather and sitter which is our whole you know whole weekends generally and then you have like 10 consults uh, and then we learn a lot about the music and, and these things. And then like, maybe you're kind of ready to understand this, you know? Mm. And, uh, yeah, because it's like, our, so, so often I think our need to intervene is really, is, is really more about us than them. And that's sure. been such a deep lesson. Uh, I mean, I'm a clinician, so I get this, I, I intervene a lot. Um, but in the expanded state space, relevant to the ethics of somebody's experience, like we better really be asking ourselves the, the question, like if I'm going to talk or I'm going to enter someone's space, I, it's really important for me to be clear on who is this for? Mm-hmm. You know, who is it's
1: this kind for of like for? a, it's kind of like a combination between like a doula and a shaman.
0: Yeah. That's sort of how mm-hmm. I it's imagine me- it it's very mid, it's very much like a midwife. Yeah. Process. It's kind of like, if I, you know, if I think about cause then when we come in, we're still not doing anything. It's like, we're in there maybe like, cause someone's really like in a deep process crying and screaming, you know, it looks like, okay, this is, but we enter very gently, like, you may feel a hand or like a pillow. It's not intrusive as possible. And the person, if they need the support, will lean into it or not. Mm-hmm. If they lean in, then we just kind of come in and we're still just following their inner healer. We're not like, oh, great. I'm going to do this this work around your heart. And then I'm going to touch your head here. It's not that system. It's like, okay, I'm in. And then we're following you. Like, where are we going? You know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, we're not leading at, at all in that space. So it's, it's really, yeah, it's interesting. Really. We're like, kind of like professional pillow throwers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> making sure that people don't hit their heads, but so, so f- but to answer your question, I, I think you asked it, Zoe was like, and and thing is that somebody could, you know, be in tears and there's obviously a deep emotional process going on and it it's, you know, getting more intense. And there's a natural urge. and especially for, you know, I see it a lot with women, this sort of nurturing component. And then mm-hmm. like, of course, to come in and say like, do you need something or to grab the hand or to, to intervene? And um, yeah, it's really empowering for the breather to reach out. But the thing is when they reach out, their sitter is right there. You know, or the facilitator at this point is probably also right there, Mm -hmm. and so it's it's been really important. And we've heard so much feedback around this that for some people, the whole process for them was about finally finding the capacity, the willing, the the, being empowered enough to ask for what they needed. Because so much of our trauma, I, I don't know, you know, if you guys share this, but is that it felt less painful. To have a need and to not ask for it than to have a need, ask for it and not be met. You know, that Mm -hmm. is so much of what we carry developmentally. So it's really reparative, especially in expanded states. When someone reaches a hand and it's met or Mm -hmm. asks to be held and it's met. And when we come in with someone, we are in until they are done. So it's not like, cool, I'll lay with you for a second. And then I'm going to go over here. It's like, we are there until you are done. Whatever that means. Sometimes that's ours.
2: Wow. Does it feel, it is intense. I was going to say, does it feel as a sitter in that experience, like, do you end up feeling completely depleted as somebody who is just giving this kind of constant nurturing or is it, um, is it? sort of a reciprocal feeling of actual fulfillment. And I guess it probably varies case to case, but I imagine it feels very exhausting.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's absolutely true. But the one of the things in the prep talk, <clears throat> we really like give the sitters a lot of information about and, and ask them to also have their own set, their own boundaries. So the breather and sitter have a conversation about touch and there's a lot of consent conversation that happens and and so that's there the sitter's job is not to be the facilitator so you know they may hold a hand and sometimes like they'll come in and they'll do a little bit of holding but we are constantly checking in with them if that's the case like are you you know are you good do you need support um and generally I think the sitters really love it they really love getting to show up the the work that is extended like I just mentioned is mostly done by the facilitators so, um you know the sitters are doing sort of maybe shorter versions of that and and some sitters are just really clear like hey I'm you know I have I'm I'm processing some of my own stuff so touch doesn't feel good if you need a hand like I'll get a facilitator immediately Mm -hmm. and then we know that we have that information before we we come in uh or we start the session and so in the trainings, like in the in the bigger sort of week long things we do, the trainings are also open to anybody that wants to just participate in the re- retreat. You know, the sitters have done enough like work that maybe they are a little more participatory. But you know, that's we have the facilitators. There's generally like a, a, a very well staffed team so that we are available for these things um, because sometimes a facilitator will be down with someone for the whole session whether it's body work, cause it's a big process and there's a lot like happening, you know, that needs to move, you know, externally, or somebody is, is working with, you know, something that is where they're needing to, to be held for, mm. you know, two hours or whatever it is.
2: What is the typical, um, like for a facilitator, what is the typical background that they have? Are they, I mean, they're not medically trained necessarily, right? Like, are they
0: behavioral? Yeah. That's That's a good side. question. Um there's not uh there's not any prerequisites except doing a really massive amount of your own work. And what I find is that most of us are in like either healthcare or, you know, behavioral healthcare. So there's a lot of therapists and people in the in medical professions as well, but it's not a prerequisite. And quite frankly, sometimes it can get in the way because mm-hmm. we're trained, you know. We're trained in intervention as you know, as counselors and as doctors. And so in, in some ways that's, it's a lot of deprogramming um, for those of us that come in with, with those, in, with those systems.
1: Is it like a situation where, you know, there's, there's always somebody in every session who walks out halfway? <laughs>
2: Like, what I was gonna there, ask, like, is, is there, there something
1: who's like, this is just family. not working? Like just, I can't do it like halfway through. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I would totally have this fantasy immediately of just like, t- if I'm out, I'm out of here.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good question. And one of the agreements we make in the beginning is um, we do ask people to stay the entire time, not necessarily in the session and doing the breath work, but that, yeah, they're. I've had one person, and this is when I worked in an addiction, did it in an addiction facility, you know, which made sense, just really acute care. And I had one man who actually tried to run out of the room. But, you know, it happens every once in a while because there's a huge flight response that can come online, obviously, when when something emerges that we have compartmentalized for our entire lives. And, right. you know, for him, he was like reliving some sort of like really intense trauma relevant to like a shooting. And so, yeah, he was like out of there. and I, I remember literally like catching him before he hit the door. And then he just fell into my arms and cried for about three hours. So
1: oh, you know, oh my God,
0: so there's such a poignancy to all these moments. And we do, yeah, we ask people to stay and not because we want them to feel trapped or locked in, but because when you when you come to something, when you step into a space where you're saying yes to, expanding your consciousness whether it's through psilocybin or breath work or whatever it is our job to do whatever we can to keep you safe and so if you leave in the middle of it we definitely lose that capacity so Mm -hmm. some people will sit up in the middle of sessions and they're just like i need a second and you know we hang with them and we talk to them and you know work it out and they go back into the session and but that is what i love about this work is it does allow some titration if if you want it, if that's, what's naturally emerging for you is the need to slow down to be supported in that, you know, there's support for that. And it's, it can be a lot, it can be a lot. It can okay. also be really, really subtle. I mean, we're talking about the bigger experiences, but some people are like, yeah, that was like a nice meditation. And mm-hmm. I took a really expensive nap, you know, <laughs> <these> for <first laughs> three days. hours. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How often should one do this? I mean, is it like a monthly practice? Is it a, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's case by case, but.
0: Yeah, definitely case by case. I think when I first started, I was like, oh, I, need, I would needed, I had so much, I was moving that I, any, any opportunity I could find, I would do it. But even like as facilitators, it's a lot to hold. It's a lot of work. So, you know, every few months in a city is when they will, they'll happen generally, maybe every other month. So it's not it's not necessarily I mean you'd have to travel to get to them monthly. We definitely don't recommend people doing it by themselves, so we do, you know, recommend that people show up in like a group space or with a certified facilitator because it it can be a lot and we've seen people mm-hmm. get themselves in some into some tough spots trying to do the breathwork on their own. This kind of breathwork. There's so many other types of breathwork that are really beautiful that we can do in solo practice. So yeah, it's really different. Some people are like, I'll ha- I, they'll have one experience; it's life changing. They never have to do it again. And other mm-hmm. people are like, Yeah, that was incredible, and like maybe I'll do it in a couple years, you know. And then mm-hmm. other people are just, you know, every few months have a really like our our breathwork in in Austin and Portland. People tend to come every. There's definitely like a you know certain people that come every workshop. And some that come like every other workshop and they've mm-hmm. found their peace with it.
1: So how do you find these traveling workshops or like, how does one go about signing up or, you know, or training?
0: Yeah. I mean, so one way to find like facilitators in your area, um, is through holotropic.com and you can like look it up by state or country cause it's international, um, as well and yeah that's that's the easiest route to see you know where facilitators are lo- are located um and because the training's so intense like it's 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 not necessary some states have more than others but like for instance i'm like i think one of two in in oregon there's some being you know that are in training now and so um there's a couple in seattle and you know there's a few in texas but uh cuz i facilitate in austin a lot So, yeah, it's, you know, people definitely. And I think people like to travel to do this work sometimes because it has this sort of this journey feel to it. It's a little bit that way.
2: Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, is there anything that we haven't really touched on that you want to make sure people understand and take
0: away? Yeah, I mean, I think just like with so many other types of expanded state work it's really like it's a calling and and you know like you just know when you're ready and there's um and i i love that because i feel like that's also you know the inner healer like you know doing its work around this and um i know a lot of people i have a lot of conversations before workshops with people are like i don't know if i'm if i want to do it and then it's like well just trust that let's just let's trust that let's trust if it's not a yes um that you'll know when it is mm-hmm. uh, and and it's absolutely an incredible experience to um, recognize the power within, you know, so to have the breath as medicine and to know that we have access to that at uh, any time is, is really an empowering experience. Yeah. That's what I love about the holotropic model is it was it's so deeply rooted in radical self-empowerment, which is such an antidote mm-hmm. to, at least my experience of how disempowering we've become collectively, you know, as a culture in our society of constantly reaching outside of ourselves. Um, so it feels like a really powerful medicine in that regard. Hmm. God, yeah.
1: it's so true. Yeah. Well said. Well, I mean, this is fascinating. I don't know, Erica, do you want to give it a try? I guess what do we kind do? Of. Do you want to flip a coin to see who goes first? <laughs>
0: <laughs> how do yeah, you figure that out? that's that's definitely a good route
2: i totally want to do it yes be your, yeah. and your breather um <laughs> no i am gonna i'm gonna do some research and check it out
1: awesome um, um thank you so much christine this is really uh fascinating and informative and like you said just really it's very empowering um it's almost too good to be true <laughs>
0: I, know. I know wait a minute it's all right here i have access to all of it yeah all right And and we deserve, you know, the right support for that exploration too. And I think that's part of it. What I love is that it's not like, cool, like go lay on the mat, close your eyes. I'll be in the corner if you need me. It's like, I'm here. Period. If you need me, there's a, there's a lot of support in the room. And that was really healing for me relationally.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. To start to trust humans again, to start to trust myself again, to receive and to ask. and to know I'd be met, And these are, that's big medicine. You
1: know? Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> it is.
1: Amen. Uh, well, holotropic.com.
0: Go yeah, check it out.
1: Sense. Find your
2: workshop. Out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so thank much you. for joining us, Christine. Good luck with thank everything.
0: Yeah. Thank you both for what you're doing.
2: Take care. <laughs> All right. Take care thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Give us a couple of stars. Give us five whole stars. They don't cost you anything. And you can find out more information on our website at htwpodcast.com. And you can follow us on social at Earth and Star, which is at Earth and Star Co. Thanks so much.